dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Associate Editor Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Associate Editor Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Alrighty, let's get it over with. Your Oklahoma State Cowboys beat my Kansas State University Wildcats. Congratulations. <laughs> I didn't beat them. I, it's not like I was out on the field, but I was cheering for them. The only one in my house cheering for them because <laughs> I live with a bunch of K-State fans. <laughs> I told you those children would be assimilated to the purple side. Well, the little one said something about liking the Jayhawks, so I don't know if somebody in his class likes the Jayhawks, but his dad promptly told him nobody in this house likes the Kansas Jayhawks. Yeah, if he wants to keep getting dinner and and food and clothing and shelter, that better be nipped in the bud real quick. (laughs) He claims he likes Pistol Pete, so I don't know about him. He's still he's still little enough. We'll we'll give him a pass. He's five. (laughs) Yeah, five. You really don't understand that there's you know big boundaries in your school allegiances. <laughs> and to be quite honest, when I was five, I liked the K-State Wildcats because I loved the color purple. Yeah. And I couldn't stand the color red and blue. <laughs> so, you know, hey. Yeah. I was not able to watch the game because I was um, at a wedding and there's a faux pas against watching a wedding or watching a game in the middle of a wedding service. And so, there is. <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of frowned upon in an establishment. Now, if we had been seated up in the in the, um, the balcony, in the balcony, I think I could have gotten away with it. Probably, but we were close to the front row. So, well, you no. were in a church too, so that's a little different than if it was like at a park or something. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, the the Methodist in me just goes, no, 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 no. You can't watch a game in church. Do you even bring your phone into church? You know, I did. Um, just because we were sending the bride text messages, you know, up until the moment she was walking down the aisle, kind of goofy, try to keep her, you know, loose and, and relaxed and everything. So we were having some fun there, but, um, yeah, Saturday was a big day. Spent the morning in Scott city at the granddaddy craft fair in Western Kansas called Wimmy Diddle. And if you're a, a listener and your wife or significant other was gone and came home with a boatload of items, she went to Wimmy Diddle too. (laughs) (laughs) It's so cool. Kayleen, you've been to Wimmy Diddle. I think we've gone together, haven't we? Yeah, we went last year. So I picked up a dresser for like 20 bucks and um, some new jewelry and things. But my crown jewel from Wimmy Diddle is the decal from the side of an Oliver 1850. I picked it up. For 15 bucks. Cool. It is going to have a, pl- a place of pride in my in my basement, in my my whole fun room there. It's going to be it's going to be so cool. Awesome. But um I don't know, this whole uh this whole barn trend, this ag is trendy as long as there's a price tag and shiplap involved. This has gotten a little out of hand because the price tags are starting to get a little pricey. Yeah. I mean, I spent uh I think I spent 20 bucks on a metal sign that had been um, laser cut out with shocks of wheat on it. Cool. Something very simple that I could have done myself, but you know what? I don't have the tools and I don't have the time to futz around with that. So, yeah, seriously, (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, put stuff on my walls in my house that I like that, you know, has meaning to me and right. I, honestly don't care what anybody else thinks about it (laughs) including my husband (laughs) i you know i have the same sensibilities as you do i love the 
the um, agricultural and industrial and metal and wood and and that sort of um, eclectic charm. You know, it's it's and they all have things that mean for mean mm-hmm. something. In your office, I I just am so coveted. I covet. She has a, a barn door that she has displaying photos of her family that came from the family farm, right? It came from the shed that's at my house that was falling down, and I just could not stand that it was just laying out there rotten. So it, inside the house it went, <laughs> and it stayed in the closet for probably three years before I brought it here. But you know, somebody years ago crafted that by hand. Yeah. And those people are no longer with us now. But what they made is left behind, and that's amazing. I mean, I look at all of the pieces of windmills that are huge right now. You know, even whole windmill assemblies themselves on the wall of a living room. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I think it's beautiful. I think um, even the ones that have bullet holes in them. <laughs> I think they, they're gorgeous and everything. What I don't get, though, is everybody wants a windmill on their living room wall, but nobody wants a windmill in their backyard providing electricity for a state. <laughs> have you noticed that? Yeah, I have. <laughs> I kind of want to go, um, hello, hi. <laughs> but the big aero, aero motors or whatever they, they are that provided water by wind... They're a lot better to look at than the big, ugly, white things that are out there because I have a view of the big, ugly, white things from my house to the east. And when I'm taking pictures, I have to really be sneaky. See, I, I get that. I get that. Um, and for some things, yeah, you don't want a big windmill sticking out of somebody's you know, senior portrait. I get that. <laughs> but for me, I find them fascinating marvels of engineering and architecture and you know what? At sunrise and sunset, there are actually some pretty amazing kind of shots that you can kind of yeah. look at and and put them in front of it. And you're like, you know what? That's that's the new. And, and there's one spot on one of the highways out this direction, close to one of our wind farms. They have a, a small little um, rusted down barn. I think the barn is melting, essentially, back into the <laughs> earth. Next to it is a, an, an old windmill that was providing water. And then not 500 yards away is a big, giant turbine. Mm-hmm. And you just look at it and you go, that's where we were, that's where we are today, and that's where we're going. You know, I was talking about this with somebody um, that we were sharing some historical photos of agricultural production. In this particular case, it was pictures of people that were picking um, potatoes in the 40s and 50s. A lot of that, they were dug by a machine, but then they had to be picked up out of the field by hand, bagged by hand, put on a pickup truck, and hauled out of the field. Labor intensive, Mm -hmm. right? That's where we were. Before you can understand where we are today, you have to understand where we came from, which is why we have all of the advancements that we have today, because somebody decided that we could do it quicker and cheaper and more efficiently and safely yeah I mean oh man that had to be back-breaking work to be in the potato fields well you've seen pictures of grandparents and parents working cattle and and um, cowboying back in the the days where and and still there's some people that still do everything um a little bit more labor intensive than others because of their situations or another but you look at the safety measures that we have on equipment today. I mean, not just cabs, but buddy seats. Yeah. There was no buddy seat in the tractor when I was a kid. You know what my buddy seat was? It was the fender of my dad's Oliver 1850. <laughs> Ours had cabs. We didn't have any like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, until I was old enough, I had to sit on dad's lap while we were roading um, equipment down the highway. Yeah, and that was perfectly... That's safe. Oh, yeah, that's safe. That's just fine. No. I remember riding in the back of the pickup, you know, and or standing up on the seat in the pickup as you're going down the dirt road. Yep. <laughs> Even So we joke about that. Nobody does it like that anymore today. Nobody no. does. We have all realized there are things that are more advanced. You know, we have the advancements to be safer, to be more efficient. Now there's air conditioning in cabs. Holy buckets. Actual working air conditioners. <laughs> 
my dad always had air conditioning in his tractors and it was like walking into a freezer <laughs> every time you'd go in the tractor with him. Mom and dad ran matching swathers. Mom Swather was the one that had the working air conditioner. <laughs> and if the AC was not working, mom did not work. Yes. That was the rule. Mom said, I will help you as long as the day is, but there better be AC in that cab and you could hang meat in that thing. <laughs> yeah, because you guys had humidity. <laughs> <sighs> you know what? We've been having a lot of humidity around here lately, too. Mm-hmm. It was just face melting about two days ago, and then the cold front came through, and I'm making chili tonight. <laughs> she been... was wanting chili the other day when it was only like 65. Hey, you know what? <laughs> Anytime it drops below 70 degrees, it's chilly weather. No, it's I, not. Yes, no. that's that's the rule. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I can't talk too loud. I put a crock pot, uh, roast in the crock pot before I left today. Ooh, that's my that's my weekend plans is pot roast. They had them buy one, get one free at Dylan's. I did see that. So, um Let's see here. So that was the craft fair um, wedding. Uh, had a really good friend get married to her lovely, lovely man. Um, and uh, I caught 97% of the bouquet. <laughs> How do you do that? Well, the stems are pointed at your eyeball. So you put your hand up and you reflexively grab it. And then somebody else comes along and, and takes three actual rose heads <laughs> Off the bouquet. <laughs> she stripped it like a T-Rex. I'm not kidding. <laughs> um, what, is, what are those traditions that you, you... I mean, have you been to a wedding lately? This summer I went to one. But I was taking pictures, so I didn't really pay that much attention to, you know, that sort of thing. But I don't know. The thing that I don't really care for at weddings is probably the dumping of the sand or the lighting of the unity candles and that sort of thing i understand they're trying to unite and Mm -hmm. have a symbol or whatever but just get on with it (laughs) (laughs) okay how can you not like a candle lighting i don't know it made for pretty pictures that's for sure but it's just it's one more dang thing that they've got to get through And this was a Catholic wedding that I was at, so Uh I was like, come on. (laughs) So um, I'm okay with the unity candle. That's okay. For me, it's the the sand ceremonies because, you know, we're blending families. Everybody's got their color of sand. No, no, that's just messy. You know what? No. Unless God is carrying the sand for you, (laughs) sand does not belong in the church. Yeah. I don't know. For me, it's a little creepy, the the whole garter toss and, and the bouquet toss anymore. Yeah, a little bit. Because at our age, it's no longer fun. Like, it is, it, it's it's almost like, oh, criminy. There's like three of us. Because <laughs> everybody else is paired up. Everybody else is, you know, done their duty and they, they got married. But you're at our age. You look around, you're like, oh, it's me and the flower girl. Oh, <laughs> You know what, sweetie? You go for it. You run for it. There you go. Yeah, you go. Um, yeah, this wedding, they had five flower girls and one ring bearer, and they were all stinking precious. Yeah. So well-behaved, so cute. Oh, my goodness. Just absolutely adorable. Yeah, there was, the, I think it was the flower girl at the wedding I took pictures at. She was, had her finger in her nose, and that was, <laughs> I did not take a picture of her, of her doing that. <laughs> We were, my sister and I were actually flower girls at our Aunt Nita's wedding when we were probably, I don't know, eight. And I can only imagine what they thought of the wedding pictures. You know what? You're lucky because by the time I came along, all of mom's friends and, and her family had already been married. So I never, my sister and brother got to be in marriage and in weddings. Yeah. But I never got to be in a wedding until I was older and I could start singing for weddings. Yeah. And I have sang for a lot, a lot, a lot of weddings. Well, this was like the mid-80s, so, you know, had the big poofy sleeves. and Oh, yeah. It was a big scandal because Aunt Nita wanted red for her color, and then she got black place settings for her dishes, and it was just... Red and black at a wedding? Pearl clutching, and yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is... I'm, I'm a little kid, and I remember these arguments between Grandma and Aunt Nita, because Aunt Nita was quite a bit younger than my mom, so... She hung out a lot with us, and so we had 
a lot of good times with her. <laughs> <laughs> so we got in on all the personal stuff. <laughs> the first time and the only time I've ever stood up for anybody in a wedding was my own sister's wedding. And when she called me to ask me to be her, her maid of honor, I honest to God said, well, you want me to sing, right? <laughs> She's like, um, well, no, I was going to ask you to be my maid of honor, but yeah, you can sing, I guess. And I went, <laughs> really? <laughs> you, you want me to be like in the bridal party in a pretty dress? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that was a, that was a fun wedding. Oh, weddings are a really great event. I mean, you see people that you don't normally get to see a lot with. There's usually some pretty, pretty fun happenings going on. It's two families. You get to meet new people. You know, it's, it's a good time. Yeah. Usually. Usually. (laughs) If it's not a good time, it just makes for a really, really awkward reception. (laughs) Yeah. And I've been to a few of those. Bless their hearts. Um, let's see, in the trending news this last week, um, Alexa out of Amazon, Amazon's Alexa, they're now going to offer the voice of Samuel L. Jackson for your Alexa machine. Do they have options right now that you can choose from? So there are, I think there's like a couple of options, but they're going to start rolling out celebrity voices and his is going to be the first voice. Now you can have Nick Fury from the Avengers or his Pulp Fiction personality. <laughs> I know I would probably choose Pulp Fiction myself. Yeah, me too. Because he's that's very often the um, internal monologue <laughs> of my head. Yeah, you know how they always say, and the voiceover said, <laughs> my voiceover is Sam Jackson. <laughs> but this also um, got me to thinking for this coming week's uh, Common Ground, what would my, my top list of ranchy or rural voiceovers be? And frankly, if NCBA doesn't haul out Sam Elliott and start having him be the voice of any orders for beef, it's what's for dinner, and do that whole tie-in, then they are just not working hard enough. Yeah, I don't. I have to agree with you there. <laughs> Did I say NCBA? I'm at Cattleman's Beef Board. <laughs> Same difference. <laughs> Same office. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Holy buckets. And your card- I know the difference. I've been there. <laughs> and your cards and letters can be sent to... <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry. Yes, there's a big, there's a, a divider down in the middle. Sometimes we just accidentally have that divider not in our head very well. So, but um, yeah, I, I want Sam Elliott saying, beef, it's what's for dinner. And you haven't ordered it lately. Can I put it on your grocery list? <laughs> but I, what I really, really want, John Wayne saying, of course I'll order that toilet paper for you, <laughs> Pilgrim. I mean, seriously, that needs to happen. <laughs> I'm sure somebody's already requested it. Who would you have for your celebrity voice of your voice assistant? I'm not that techie, but probably Sam Elliott. Yeah. Or Matthew McConaughey. His voice is pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, both of those. George Strait. I'm thinking George Strait could sell a lot of anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see. What else is going on in your world? We worked calves on Saturday or Sunday. Sunday it was. Good. How's the crop look? Everybody was where they were supposed to be and... I haven't heard any news from the teachers if the boys said anything about castrating calves yet, but (laughs) I had to giggle at the littlest one because he was stacking up the ends of the scrotum that was cut off when my husband castrated these bulls that are now steers. Did we have an anatomy lesson? Yes, we did. Because <laughs> he wanted to, He at one point he was calling them walnuts when his dad was cutting out of the, the bulls and his dad was not having that at all. <laughs> He's like, no, they're testicles. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for having a ranch kid in your kindergarten and first grade classes because let me tell you, that is a science lesson all wrapped up in a, in a, <laughs> in an open mouth. I mean... <laughs> Well, and his brother is more observant. His brother was actually taking the the testicles from his dad and putting them in the bucket so we could clean them later. And Chance was just like oblivious to the whole situation until the end when he's starting to stack up this stuff. And 
I don't know. <laughs> I feel sorry for their teachers sometimes. <laughs> Didn't you do that, though, when you were little and you had some job that you, you you had to go with dad on the job? Yeah. And you're in some place that there is no way that My Little Ponies or Barbies or a stuffed animal is really welcome. So you got to make your own toys. Yes. Yeah. I remember vividly building fence along the creek with my dad. And I was about your littlest age, about five or so. And I discovered that the soil had enough clay in it that it was actually really, really clay. (laughs) So I made all these little bitty pots and all these little bitty vases and things and set them out in the sun to dry. (laughs) Made mud pies. (laughs) I did. I did. Um, My favorite job, though, was like being the tamper around the posts. Because, you know, dad had this big, long tamping rod, rod, you know. Yeah. And um, that was, I was the best one at that. Of course, it's it's a stupid job that you give a kid just yeah. to keep them out of your hair. But <laughs> I just always thought I was indispensable help because that was my job. Cool. I mean, it's important <laughs> for us to bring kids out and about doing things like that with us. Because how else are they going to grow up to go, I want to do what my dad does. Yeah. I want to do what my mom does. Yeah. So... Well, and Sean, he tried to help with the gate, and he does a good job. He just needs to pay attention, and neither one of them <laughs> pay attention very good. Yeah, that's the that's the lesson when you learn of heifer, steer, one, two. <laughs> well, and we had to change a few tags, because apparently when we tagged them all, <laughs> boys got confused with girls and girls got confused with boys and they had the wrong color tags whatever did we have some identity issues i think out so there? <laughs> bless your hearts yeah <laughs> so what happens when you have crappy help oh you're not crappy help yes because <laughs> i can't figure out this stupid shoot and every time we use this this stupid shoot <laughs> i <laughs> pull it the wrong way and then i can't get the gates open and yeah but this is the first crop, right? No. Is this the second crop already? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Man, time flies. Yeah. I'm really proud of you guys for sticking your necks out there and doing this and sticking with it. And I'm really proud of you. That's... Yeah, let's see if we can pay the bills before you go on to about how proud you are. <laughs> I will always be proud of you for sticking your neck out there because that's a really gutsy move. I haven't been able to do it, so good for you. If you got a comment or a thought, we'd like to hear it. Drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know. Or you can call us at the office, 1-800-452-7171. Or you can always comment to our Facebook and Twitter accounts. And if you like what you hear, do us a favor and head over to iTunes or wherever you download our podcasts and leave us a review. So in this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the September 30th print edition. We brought world record holder for soybean yields, Randy Dowdy, to talk about breaking records onto our podcast, Kayleen. <laughs> yeah. Not not because Randy's on, but Jenny's excuse that, for a... Uh... That was the best pun ever. <laughs> no. <laughs> and um, of course, Kayleen's going to bring us the latest on grain markets, and we'll have some final thoughts. I don't care what you say, Kayleen, it's below 70 degrees. So if you're like me and you're stirring that pot of chili on the stove, thanks for turning up the speakers in the kitchen and riding with us on HPJ Talk. This week's cover story is from our colleague at Waterways Journal, David Murray. Where next for soybeans? In it, David looks at the current trade situation that's hurting U.S. soybean farmers and what the potential outcomes may be down the road. Inside on page 5, Kayleen has our lead story about former secretaries of agriculture coming together to support the USMCA passage, ASAP. John Block from the Reagan administration, Mike Espy and Dan Glickman from the Clinton administration, Ann Veneman, Mike Johans, and Ed Schaefer from the George W. Bush administration and Tom Vilsack from the Obama administration all wrote a letter to strongly stress their support for USMCA. 
On page six, Jenny writes about the ag data, legalities, and things farmers and landlords should watch for in future agreements regarding who has access and rights to data collected on farm ground. On page eight, Kayleen has her editorial about the impossibility of the impossible burger. Seymour clearly writes about the drama in D.C. Gerald Schreiber, president of RCAF USA, writes to us about the inequalities in the beef production chain. And reader Hank Walton writes from Welch, Oklahoma, and he says he believes that the wide swings in the feeder and fat cattle markets after the Tyson fire are a result of the, quote, greed of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, end quote. On page 12, Jenny, you have coverage of the Senate Ag Committee hearing discussing the need for market transparency in the meat and poultry sectors. And we have photos from the Oklahoma State Fair, courtesy of contributor Lacey Newland on page 13. Folks, if you have a response to something you've read or heard, or there's a local topic that you want to bring to the attention of our readers and listeners, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. Or you can always call us at 1-800-452-7171. We want to hear from you. This week, we were able to chat with world record soybean farmer Randy Dowdy, a first-generation Georgia soybean grower who set the world record for soybean production in 2016 at 171 bushels per acre, and then broke that record twice this year for a record of 190.23 bushels per acre. We chatted with Dowdy, who is in the field digging peanuts, as well as Dr. Josh Miller, BASF Technical Marketing Manager, about what it takes to grow a bin-busting soybean crop. Welcome to HPJ Talk, and joining us on the podcast today is Mr. Randy Dowdy. Randy is a first-generation Georgia soybean grower, and that name might sound familiar to you folks because he set the world record soybean production in 2016 at 171 bushels per acre. We all thought that was the limit, right, Kayleen? Yeah. And then this year... Mr. Dowdy set another world record at 190.23 bushels per acre. So welcome to the podcast, Mr. Dowdy. You're also joined by Dr. Josh Miller from BASF, who's a technical marketing manager. And we're going to talk with him a little bit about some of the BASF crop protection products that uh, Mr. Dowdy used on his Georgia Georgia soybeans. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Good morning. Glad to be here. Okay, so you're out in the in the peanut field digging peanuts. So, folks, if you hear any weird noises, that's just equipment. We work with farmers wherever they are at. So, um, Mr. Dowdy, so our listeners can picture your farm. Let's take a minute and describe your operation, your region, what your cropping rotation usually is. Okay, uh, we farm corn, soybeans, and peanuts, and that's our first crop of the season, typically. And Behind that, on the corn acres, we grow double crop, either double crop corn twice in the same season, or we'll grow beans behind the corn, or we'll grow peas, just depending on the time of the year when we get the first crop off and uh, harvest. Um, we generally will have a third, third, third rotation. Uh, we do chase markets about like everybody else does, which are one we think will cash flow and make the most money. We'll generally try to spend that kind of money on it. Uh, we farm a little less than 1,000 acres. Um, we uh, are probably 70% irrigated now. Uh, I've been investing any money that I could in, in financing as well, pivots, uh, um, and trying to eliminate, eliminate some of the, our risk uh, with the irrigation. Um, the irrigation for us is a big deal. Uh, the difference about making money and, and not money, making money quite often. Um, you know, this year was a tail, the tail of the tail for sure. Whether where you had water, it was a big deal. Uh, our dry land acres lost about 400 uh, due to just drought and with no water. Uh, that was corn and soybeans. You know, it's dry and beans out. Wow. Um, the uh, Corn acres really got affected. I mean, it was just 
good smoking. But with that, you know, we had copious amounts of sunshine, which turned out to be a big deal. So with the water, uh, we were able to, you know, make some really good yields. Well, speaking of yield, 190.23 bushels per acre on that soybean crop. How do we know this is a world record? Who Do you have somebody certifying it? Can you explain the process there a little bit? Yes, we, well, we broke it twice. We did it first. Uh, we planted some beans in March this year, which is, you know, three to four weeks earlier than normal. And no data told us to do this. Everybody said that it's too early, too early, too early. Well, A.J. Woodyard from BASF that operates one of the research centers out of Illinois, um, he's been planting beans in March for quite some time. And he said, Randy, you need to plant some March beans. happy pretty happy there well a lot's been made because you are a first generation farmer so you know what do you bring to the table as a first generation farmer to a contest like this that that somebody else may not have I mean do you have any preconceived notions or is it you're ready to to try things and to test the boundaries and push the limits Uh, he had retired as a state soybean specialist. 
um, Van Posten, AJ, different ones. You know, I, I must give them credit. They did get me. They started this animal, so to speak. They <laughs> they actually took and um, introduced me to soybeans and asked me to take on the challenge and make a high yield. And so it, it's their fault, I guess, that uh, we got to where we are. <laughs> They, well, they ruined you. Yep. <laughs> hey, well, speaking of, of surrounding yourself with people that, that have good answers and some good input, um, we've got Dr. Josh Miller with us, again, BASF Technical Marketing Manager. So, uh, Dr. Miller, um, there's uh, we use some Revitech fungicide on this crop. So, um, And there are some other things that you've, you've worked with uh, Randy in the past Maybe talk about what are some crop inputs that guys his direction need to be concerned with. Soybean growers up and down the Great Plains have some of those same concerns too, I imagine. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on here. So I, I do work with our fungicide and plant health portfolio here at BASF. And the exciting part for, for us to be involved with Randy uh, to the level that he's allowed us to be is to see how plant health has been a big part of his operation. Now, it's one of many and we got to give a lot of credit to everything else Randy's doing with the planting dates, the, the fertility, the micronutrients. He's really figured out what, if you go back to the whole logic law of the minimum, what are the minimum factors that are going to deter from yield. So he's hitting every one of those. From a plant health standpoint, uh, this couldn't have, I don't know, worked out any better for, for us this year. As he mentioned, he broke the yield record twice, and the first uh, field he broke it with, that early plant of beans, did have our... Uh, legacy brand Preaxor on it, which has been a big part of uh, plant health applications for the past several years. And so to see that still performing the way it is for soybean customers around the around the country is, is still uh, very encouraging. But with the, the record-breaking yield, he did use our new offering, Revitech, which will be available in 2020 um, as part of our new Two new fungicide brands we launched in the corn and beans that are powered by Revisol fungicide, the newest active ingredient that BSF's launching. Revitech will be the lead offer in soybeans, and Deltima will be the lead offer in corn. And what we're really getting is um, a new level of disease control from that Revisol active ingredient, combined with the proven plant health benefits of the BSF plant portfolio. Good, good. Okay, so you mentioned we've got um, Veltima coming out as a corn fungicide. We've got Revitech coming out as a soybean fungicide. In your work, what do you see as, um, you know, you work with a lot of a lot of farmers, a lot of different growers that have different perspectives and, and, and uh, yield goals and that sort of thing. BASF talks so much about plant health. Why, if, if I'm a, a listener that I'm not a farmer, why is it important for plant health to be top of mind for a grower? Why not just put the, the seeds in the field and, and walk away from it and come back and harvest? That's a really good question. Um, one of the things we know is that we lose a lot of yield every single season. But one of the things we try to highlight here at BSF is the fact that we also can lose yield to those environmental factors. Uh, the heat, drought, wind, hail, frost. Um, Plants can't get up and walk away. they got to be out in the field and deal with whatever's coming at them. And so they have mechanisms to deal with that. And one of the things that we have found with our BSM plant products, which is unique to our product, is we can actually help mitigate those stresses. So when you can protect that plant from both disease and those environmental conditions, you have a crop that's able to focus on what you pay for it to do when you put it in the ground, and that's to make yield. And so those are the things that, that we like to talk about here at BSF. Um, the ability to not just focus on disease because that's just one of the stresses that those plants are exposed to every season, but also helping with the proven plant health benefits and the science that we have behind why that works, why that works to really help our customers and their crops make it through the season and to grow efficiently. Randy kind of took advantage of these resources from BASF and his soil and water that he's got available to him. Um, we're here in the Great Plains, so not really in the Georgia clay per se. How do you work with your resources that you have and maybe work around them, Randy? It's kind of a fallacy. Uh, as part of the state that I'm in, we don't have that Georgia clay at all. <laughs> okay. We're a handy log on a clay base, and that clay base typically is 12 to 14 inches deep in Brooks County. Well, when you go to Lowndes County, it's mostly sand. You go to 
quarterback during grain fields or later on in the season. Um, so for us, management of water is, is paramount, uh, and that's not necessarily getting rid of water. Uh, we do have a little bit of drain tile on some areas that won't drain well, but for us, having irrigation is critical. Um, that's the difference. Like this year, making nothing absolutely zero versus, you know, uh, making record yields. Um, so it's just it's one of those deals. It's a it's a risk mitigation tool for us. Uh, it's a no brainer. I've tried my best to talk guys all over the Midwest. Okay, now that you got rid of your water, now they have the ability to make it rain and be able to match the switch or press the switch and actually start that that sieving up or that, you know whatever source of water that you're using and um, eliminate the stresses associated with it. So for us, irrigation. We use irrigation to cool the plants down at night. Um, use fungicides, obviously, to help reduce ethylene and um, you know, respiration benefits from it as well. But the plant health side, like 100% for us, you know, we use a pivot for more than just putting out water. We use it to cool the plant, we use it to fertigate, apply fertilizer, you know, partition it out throughout the season with all the risks being associated with one application that maybe two. Um, we will spoon feed those crops, et cetera. So we don't have the holding capacity, so we have to do that to be a good steward um, and, and to maximize our life. We've heard a lot about weed pressures and pesticide challenges or pest challenges and, and even chemical drift. Um, what are some, some agronomy techniques that you use um, there in Georgia that are applicable to other locations? You've been around the country speaking to folks. You've talked to a lot of farmers from a lot of places. What works for you um, when, it, when it comes to those kind of challenges? Well, we have to overlay multiple modes of action. Um, I think we probably got the worst you know, resistance to Palmer Amaranth and Big Weed and Multiple, I mean, they're, they're basically resistant to everything now. Um, so we have to use multiple modes of action. Um, Liberty has some effect on um, who knows how much longer it's going to be effective. Uh, Extend works and Genia works, you know, different products work. But um, we have to be very careful in our area uh, when using that technology uh, simply because we have peach trees, peach can trees. You know, every vegetable you can imagine, squash, cucumbers, watermelons, uh, tobacco, cantaloupe, um, peppers, tomatoes, um, sweet corn, you name it, we grow it. And the last thing that we need is a situation like happened in Arkansas, where we affect a $5,000 per acre crop, and you take a lot of uh, somebody's livelihood away from them, and it turns into a pretty bad situation real quick. Mm -hmm. class has 5,000 versus 500. You know, I think they had a dispute over some soybeans, and obviously the input costs on soybeans are not near as great, but nonetheless, it affected a man's livelihood, and they took it to the extreme level, and so a loss of life occurred, and that's not good. Mm -hmm. So we have to be very careful with those technologies. So what we do is we take a, a very proactive approach um, we use yellow herbicides still. We use still. We use you know, different um, yellow herbicides. Um, Prow, Prow H2O. Um, we use typically on the beans. Post, we'll go back with something like Reflex or Dual, and then we'll clean up with some of that uh, other technologies of the reference. Uh, Ingenia or Extend or some of those technologies. Sure. Um, it's one of those deals. We will still have a case, and we, we then send out hand labor. And we will actually have hand labor pull these weeds because we just can't afford for them to go back to seed producing 600 to a million you know, viable seeds going forward. That, that's a big deal. So yeah. um, it, it, it's, a, it's a constant struggle, and we spend a lot of money on resistance. Um, uh, pig weeds and, and other weeds that are, that are resistant to chemistry. So for us, it's very difficult, and, and we have to spend a bunch of money, but we do take it serious. Um, I've told people in the Midwest, I said, y'all don't have any challenges. you got dirt that holds nutrients that you apply in the fall, and you, you can fertilize our, our dirt with your soil. Um, <laughs> you have a, a much better holding capacity of water and nutrients, and you don't really have a 
problems or a Palmer MRS. I think we have some other resistance, but I don't know that it's dire still. Um, it's bad here in the mm -hmm. southeast. Um, I told them I was going to drop something from the airplane and give them something else to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I once had an agronomy friend of mine compare Palmer amaranth to the bunny rabbits of the weed world. <laughs> That's fine. They need some wild hogs, too. We got wild hogs, and that's a problem. Oh, bless their hearts. Yeah. Yep, yep. We we'll catch it from every angle. They, they think that, well, he's got irrigation. He just, he's got everything, you know, under control. Um, you know, I can swap a few acres for a year or two, and let's see what we can do in the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you've kind of got a plan for your stuff and your farmers are kind of always tinkering with rotations and learning and adjusting. Uh, is there anything you hope to change up for next season? Do you have any experiments or anything lined up? Well, I'm always trying to be a student of the crop, learn more. Um, you know, the height of arrogance is when you think you know it all. And 100% um, for me, uh, I, I feel like I learn something every year. I still make mistakes. Uh, you know, we do learn from those mistakes, and I believe that there's so much more to glean. Um, I think that's part of um, what makes a successful farmer. Is that, you know, I've always said in my groups and my next level meetings and my next level growers that we consult, and even when I speak, that you know the difference between a good farmer is timing and attention to detail. And they've heard me say this a hundred times. And I say it every time we get together. And I feel like that, um, you know, there's just more to learn. And we do our best to be that student of the crop and to try to share information as we learn it and with our growers participate with us the next level. But, you know, there's always more to learn, whether that's surrounding yourself with somebody that's smarter than you or doing something different and learning on your own farm. For sure, for sure. Well, hey, thanks so much for, for chatting with us today, Randy Dowdy and Dr. Josh Miller with BASF. Congratulations, Randy, for again, for setting a world record soybean production of, get this folks, 190.23 bushels per acre. I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. Do you think you'll hit 200? Uh, with the 224 that we saw on one acre, I mean, and the fact that we, I felt like we had a broke 200 this year, mm -hmm. and we not get all the rain on the first beans, I, I know it's doable. Um, a lot has to go right. Uh, I'm not, here's the ASF challenge. I need you to come up with sunlight and a joke. And that's it. I need to, I need to figure out a way to make that happen. If I can do that, um, quite often our living partner is, do, to not have enough sunlight. And, um, so if the weather will cooperate, I, I always like to be in position to when the weather does cooperate, we can capture that. What do you think, Dr. Miller? I'll can you get sunlight in a jug? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'll see what the chemist can do. <laughs> <laughs> Randy, you had a, um, there's a, a website there that you want um, folks to pay attention to too, right? That's right. Um, if you're interested in some of what we do, um, we started a, a next level program, and the best way to find out information is go to bountycropinnovations.com, and uh, it should answer enough questions to, to get you interested in. Hopefully, we'll see you soon at one of our camps. We've got uh, 10 camps right now uh, across the Midwest. We've got a new one starting in the Del Marva in Missouri and uh, Colorado. So there's some more stuff to come online, and uh, hopefully, we'll see you soon. Great. Hey, if you're ever in Dodge City, stop by the journal offices. We'll buy you a cup of coffee and maybe a Reese's peanut butter cup <laughs> since you're, you're digging peanuts for us. That'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on HPJ Talk. And folks, if you want to learn more about this and, and um, soybean production and BASF's new products, um, please follow us online at hpj.com. We'll have this and others and, and future stories about... Um, Mr. Randy Dowdy, and uh, BASF Products. We appreciate it, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Have a good Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on September 24th. Corn was up at $3.65. Wheat was down 
at $3.50, Milo was up at $3.10, and soybeans were no change at $7.69. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters at our website, hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you, and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Next week's print issue of High Plains Journal is our Ag Solutions issue with a story by Managing Editor Dave Bergmeier. Be sure to watch for that in your mailboxes October 7th and look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcasts. You can also find us on places like iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. We're also on Instagram. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember... As Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. This has been a production of High Plains Journal, all rights reserved. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends of Ride with us